I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is the second episode of our third season, which we're calling Asian American Music Movies. And that means we're looking at films that either show something very specific about Asian American music culture or do something really interesting with music. What inspired this topic is that we would have loved to do a season called Asian American Musicals, but unfortunately, there aren't enough of those yet. But this week, we are looking at a musical. Yeah, but it's not one that most people would think of as a musical. A turntable is a musical from 2001 called Wave Twisters, which was actually recommended to us by Phil Yu of Angry Asian Man. It is, a, it is a strange story. It's based on an album by the legendary turntablist DJ Qbert, who was part of the hip-hop DJ crew Invisible Scratch Pickles. It kind of exists in this whole other world, even outside of Asian American cinema. It's its own little oddity. If anything, it's closer to a music video, but like an extended feature length one. I think it's the first turntablism musical. I don't know anyone before this. I'll give them that honor. Do you want to tell our <laughs> listeners what it's about? It's hard to describe, so I'll, I'll just if, read you the synopsis. I mean, if you could even call it a narrative. It's definitely a narrative. Now the adventures of... You got this crew of heroes. You got a DJ and dentist named the Dental Commander. A graffiti artist called Honey Drips. A robot named MC Rubbish. And a breakdancer, Grandpa. Oh, the Grandpa. Grandpa's so good. The Grandpa's so good. And they're determined to save the lost arts of hip-hop from total extinction. Yeah, everyone has names in it, but they don't mention the names ever. The characters don't talk to each other. Although I will say it's pretty awesome that DJ Hubert's character's name is Darth Vader. That said, I didn't read that synopsis until after I watched the film. And then for most of it, I was just kind of like, what am I watching? Well, you texted me that. Yeah. I've never been on drugs. Because I'm a good role model like that. Um, <laughs> but I imagine this might be how it might feel to be on drugs, just purely based on episodes of that 70s show and Seth Rogen movies. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you have any insight on this. I don't. I don't think we need to go into uh, biography, but uh, I think that or maybe, or maybe not drugs. Maybe it reminds me of a rave. I've been to rave. To, to me, it was just it was less druggy than just it cited a lot of psychedelic culture but also a lot of comic book culture in a yes, way that's yes. kind of fantastical yeah 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 yes I, I like the rave connection because it's also about music then it's not just about drugs uh it's something about the way like a beat takes you into other kind of mind space the film is very very watchable there's just so many things going on at once and it's all really funny and exciting dj Huber's albums don't have a wrapped portion like it's all samples but he still throws in these signposts that tell you sort of now this is what's happening to our heroes. But it's kind of up to us to figure out who are the heroes, what are they doing, and how is this really an illustration of the signpost that we just got. And if you read interviews, DJ Kubert would talk about how they wanted to use the visual equivalent of cuts and scratches. So like how you take sound and move it back and forth. They wanted to do that with images. Yeah, yeah. What makes the film so creative is the way they translate scratching into visual play. <laughs> like, 
like how um, scratching will become the beam of a ray gun or um, was it like like a, a dentist's drill. And it's a lot of fun to see what they're going to come up with in every scene to, to make that translation. So the part where they're trying to save the lost arts, have you heard of a show on Netflix right now called Julie's Green Room with Julie Andrews and a bunch of Jim Henson puppets? I did not know this existed. <laughs> okay, I know. This is random, but stay with me. So... Julie Andrews' character runs a community center and the puppets are these students. These kids, these students coming in, they're putting on a show. So it's teaching kids about creativity. So one episode might be about writing, one episode might be about um, improv, another episode might be about dance. Uh And the, the kids come up with their own story for the show and the story is that there's an ogre that has stolen all the arts. You definitely live in a different world than I do. So these Jim Henson puppets are saving the arts. Even though it's kind of on the opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of audience and the types of arts they're trying to save, when I read that that's what Wave Twisters about, it reminded me of Julie's Green Room. This does feel very um like Scooby, like something that the Scooby-Doo gang might do or like, what's it called? Like the Magic School Bus kids. But would Scooby-Doo be looking for something that's so abstract? Probably not. Like, I don't remember him doing that. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> Well, the whole idea behind Wave Twisters says he didn't want to make a typical music video. Yeah. He didn't want to compromise his artistic vision to fit into kind of the structure of a typical music video. No, but I think it's also significant. Like in the 90s, this is also the era where a lot of kind of old school hip hop folks were wondering if hip hop had become too commercialized or become too whitewashed. And there was a sense that we need to save the pureness of it. Especially like the underground folks, they, they definitely see themselves as distinct from those who might be bastardizing the purity of hip-hop. And, and visually, it could have easily become more slick, like Powerpuff Girly, but they really tried to play up the like lo-fi-ness of the graphics. They, they cited a lot of um, early 90s culture, like video game culture. Yeah, embraced the kind of ugliness of the visuals in a way like Scratch, it can be, you're taking the scraps of other kinds of music and popular culture and turning it into something beautiful. Partway through, I thought, I'm not going to remember all of this detail. So I started taking notes on the things that I was seeing. That's, I, I did the same thing. All right. So, okay. So yeah, why, why don't you start with your list? Because I have my list and I'm looking at it right now. There was like a wrestler. It was like a Lucha Libre. With a worm coming out of his belly button. It was also very phallic. It's like a demented baby with a worm coming out of his belly. Or there's like another segment where there's a baby that's terrorizing this man by smashing his face into a photocopy machine. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Or there's like another scene where like a dog's being slapped. And there's like this whole segment with an ostrich with an eye mask (laughs) that's chasing an egg. It's it's bananas. (laughs) It's just the idea that like things flash so quickly as if they're just samples of an idea that somebody had that decided just to like photocopy it into this movie. As a result, it just becomes 45 minutes of constant overload of characters, of scenarios, of picture and sound and color. It's pretty engrossing, I thought. Watching this like in 2017, it made me really nostalgic for like growing up in the 90s. Um, especially growing up in Southern California, growing up in Cerritos, which had a lot of Filipino DJ culture happening at that time. And also like just like the stuff that we saw growing up, it all just kind of came together for me. <laughs> like highlights for children <laughs> made an appearance. Um, they were using MapQuest, a lot of just like really old school graphics. <laughs> 
Oh, and there's like the Space Invaders aesthetic throughout the whole thing. It just felt like felt like home to me. Just as an aside, uh, like you grew up in the Bay Area. Was there a big Filipino DJ scene when you were growing up? Yeah, probably, but I was not cool enough to be a part of that scene. <laughs> so I wasn't in that scene. This is random, but I was actually reading an interview with Jeannie Mai, who's one of the hosts of The Real, who also grew up in San Jose. She was talking about like how cool it was to grow up in San Jose, how there was like a breakdancing scene, a DJ scene. And I was reading that just like, what? Where, where was I during all of this cool stuff that was going on? <laughs> you were at Saturday school. That's where you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's so true. <laughs> I was learning Chinese calligraphy and painting. For me, it was also, it seemed like every Filipino guy that I knew, like the idea of becoming DJ was, was very close to every Filipino person in Cerritos. For me, like growing up, DJ culture was very Asian American. And I don't think I really appreciated that. It wasn't until college that I realized there was something called Cerritos All-Stars that was like world famous, a DJ crew. And like Beat Junkies, I never really knew that that was a Cerritos thing. And uh, and we could tie that to DJ Hubert, but also to um, Mark Polito, who became the, the mayor of Cerritos, and Rod Polito, who made the flip side, the film and, and the music in, in that movie. Yeah, it's, it's all these connections to our hometowns. I'm going to try to say this as natural as I can, but have you heard of this book by Oliver Wang called Legions of Boom, Filipino-American Mobile DJ Crews in the San Francisco Bay Area? Why, I hear this is a very important new book by a very important young man. Yeah, he covers the scene in the 90s in San Francisco Daily City, the high school kids DJing at parties, sort of this idea that they gave birth to a lot of these musicians that ended up being successful DJs and turntablists, like DJ Qbert. But he also talks about how when most of them are being interviewed, they were surprised that he was even covering this topic. Like, why is this something that an academic would be interested in covering? That was my reaction to his book, too, because when I heard about what he was writing about, I was like, well, of course this is true. Like, this is how we all grew up. Wait, it, you can write a book about it. This is important history, not just Asian American history, but like history of the 90s and musical history. And the fact that it's published by Duke University Press kind of validates our own experiences in ways that we, we never thought that they could or should be validated. Kind of take it for granted. They also influence people like Mike Realm. Yeah, totally. But then there's like the other side. So like Mike Realm, those are kind of, they're underground, but they're also YouTube popular. And then there's the other side, oh, which I was looking this up. Right when Wave Twisters comes out, but also at the same time is Gorillaz, which is another hip-hop-inspired rock superstar band that's animated. And that's Damon Auburn, so that's you have this kind of like white rock god behind it. But it also appropriates a lot from Asian and Asian-American culture. Danny Automator is involved. And obviously there's a lot of like Japanese animation inspiration. And I feel like that's also coming from the same 1990s turntablism scene that Asian Americans were a big part of, and then Gorillaz kind of blew it up. But yeah, but also like the way that Wave Twisters incorporates comic book culture, superheroes, and hip hop. Uh, you see a lot of that happening in Gorillaz too. But Gorillaz, they did try to make it more coherent as a set of heroes, where Wave Twisters is just kind of bonkers. Red alert. Red, red, red alert. You can watch Wave Twisters online. It's broken into chapters on YouTube, or you can go to a site called Snag Films. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. 
It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter you can sign up for to get lecture notes. Tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And the podcast Twitter handle is Wake Up Sat School. Next week, your assignment is to watch Coma the Musical, a 2006 film directed by Richard Wong and written by H.P. Mendoza. The two of them will be our guests next week for a very special episode. Class dismissed. Hey, are you still stuck in traffic? If so, you should listen to the newest podcast from our Potluck Podcast Collective called First of All. It's Minji Chang of Collabcast giving you real unfiltered conversations about career, family, love, and modern culture. The last two episodes have been really great. She interviewed her mother, Carol Chang, about her own Korean-American immigrant story. And this week's episode is an honest reflection about what it's like to lose a dear friend. Minji also has a Patreon page set up for a podcast, so if you like what you hear, donate. All right, see you next week.